I'd like to begin with a prayer, you will. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My Queen and my Mother, I give myself entirely to Thee, and in proof of my filial affection, I consecrate today to Thee that my eyes, my ears, my lips, my heart, my whole being without reserve. As I am Thine, O Bountiful Mother, guard me and defend me as I property and possession. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I am very grateful to be able to be here today to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. I am um, rather um, new to the Catholic Church. This past Easter I celebrated my fourth birthday as a Catholic. And um, I came, so I came in in 2011. And uh, um, prior to that, I was an on-fire, born-again, charismatic evangelical. And, uh, but in 2008, I was hired um, by a Catholic apostolate, Lighthouse Catholic Media. Um, initially, I was hired to do their books. And I, um, how many of you are familiar with Lighthouse Catholic Media? No. Well, Lighthouse Catholic Media, our mission is to win the world for Christ. We just celebrated our 10th anniversary, and we are the largest distributor of Catholic audio presentations in not only North America, but in the world. Some of you may have seen of our, our materials in parishes. Um, we distribute CDs, books, MP3s, and recently we, um, we just launched with our partnership with the Augustine Institute um, a digital platform, which if you can think of the Catholic faith on demand, this is like a Catholic Netflix. And we just made this available to parishes and to individuals through subscriptions, the Catholic faith on demand. And we're very, very excited about that. We're, we're constantly growing, and it's always, always a journey. But I have been so impacted by this opportunity that God brought into my life. When I, um, when I uh, first came to um, Lighthouse, I mean, I loved my job from the beginning, and I started listening to the audio presentations right away. Um, I started with simple talks like um, anger and forgiveness or discipline that lasts a lifetime. They weren't ones that really challenged, you know, my, where my faith was at at that point. But it wasn't too long afterwards that I began listening to the likes of like Dr. Scott Hahn, or Grant Petrie, Steve Ray, Peter Kraft, and on and on and on, Father and now Bishop Robert Barron. And uh, I listened to the CDs faithfully. And it wasn't too long before they became my preferred means of spiritual feeding. And I, I, um, I, I quickly began to, came to prefer them. My Protestant background had not been had been positive in that it had given me a solid foundation and a deep love for the scriptures. But I knew that something was amiss, or something was missing, and I had been disenchanted for some time. And shortly after I started working at Lighthouse, I came across an old book that I had read maybe five, six, seven years prior to that. It, it was called The God Chasers by an, uh, a Protestant by the name of Tommy Tenney. And in this book, I, I'm someone who likes to mark up my books. So my books are very colorful by the time I've gotten done with them. And lots and lots of scribblings, almost as if I'm rewriting the book, but I'm really not. And um, as I was looking back at the book, I was amazed that so much of what it had marked had to do with the presence of God. And I had a deep hunger for the presence of God. And in the Protestant community, we talked about it all the time. We sang about it. We were absolutely positive that we had it. But it, it was just lacking. So 
Some of the comments that I marked in this book were things like, everything good should flow from the presence of God. And there was a whole chapter entitled, No Bread in the House of Bread, Crumbs in the Carpet and Empty Cupboards, with a, with, a, with a statement also marked that the reason they left the house of God was because there was no bread in the house. And then this one, he looks for the hungry. Hunger means that you're dissatisfied with the way that it's been because it's forced you to live without him in his fullness. God was drawing me into the fullness of the faith. This is years before I even went to Lighthouse. One day in the fall of 2008, I was driving home. I had a 38-mile commute, so that was one way. So I spent about two hours a day on the road. And I would listen to these talks, and I'd listen to them over and over again. And I was listening to Dr. Hans, The Fourth Cup. And in this presentation, um, Dr. Hahn used a very effective approach. He spoke to, a, he was speaking about the Jewish Passover. And in, in, in speaking about the Passover, he challenged us to look at it in a first-person perspective. So I want you to imagine that you are a Hebrew and that your family has been captive in a foreign land, oppressed for over 400 years, and that now God has sent a deliverer to bring you out of captivity and into the promised land. Using the first person, as I said, he invoked us to imagine the angel of death is going to come upon the land of Egypt and smite the firstborn. You've been given instructions on how you, how you, can, make, how you can be ensured that the angel of death will pass over your home. If you followed the instructions, this is what you would have done. You were told to slay, to, to sacrifice an unblemished lamb, and to take its blood and sprinkle it on, upon the doorposts and the lintels of your home. And then you were to eat the lamb. But Dr. Han challenged us. He said, what if you had not followed all of those instructions? What if you had done like what we find in the Protestant community, where you had, you had sacrificed the lamb, you understood that Jesus was the Lamb of God, and you understood that its blood had been sprinkled upon the doorposts and lentils of your home, of your heart. But what if you failed to eat the lamb? And when he said that, it went through me. It went through me like lightning because I had had two very good pastors who had taught me to understand how with the scriptures that the new is concealed in the old and that the old is revealed in the new. And so I understood that he was saying that unless you had followed all the instructions implicitly, that it wouldn't have been enough. You'd have woke up the next day and your firstborn would be dead. I also understood that in the New Covenant that that translated to the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God and that he offered himself first on the cross and then in the Eucharist as the Lamb of God, giving his flesh, sprinkling his blood upon the mercy seat of heaven and commanding us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. I want to read this from scripture to you, from John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which came down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread 
which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give you for the life of the world is my flesh. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. I rewound this. This is a very hard saying. <laughs> and obviously it was for me at that time too. So I rewound that portion of the CD. And I listened to it a few more times and then I shut it off. And this became my pattern for about nine months where I would listen to the CDs ferociously because I couldn't get enough. And then I wouldn't listen to them at all because I couldn't take anymore. And, and this continued for a while. And then in the spring of, then in the summer of 2009, something really significant happened at Lighthouse Catholic Media because we began to build a chapel at the home office where um, we had, prayer had always been important at Lighthouse. We, would, uh, we had the opportunity to pray the rosary in the morning and at the, during the holy hour, we would pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And now, by the fall, we had a chapel in which to do these things, but it also meant that we could have Mass. So remember, I'm still a Protestant at this point, but I started attending these Masses. We were only able to have, a, a, I mean, we, were, we had to have at least two, and um, we were not able to have a whole lot more. But I began attending these Masses. And in the fall, we had a, we, every year we have a conference. And that year I was asked to come and, and, and lead several things related to the conference as far as administration and, and the orchestration of the event itself. And two, our two keynote speakers that year were Patrick Madrid and Father Francis Peffley. And I was sitting in the back of the room, the only Protestant in the room. We have people from all over the country come. There are account managers. And um, he's in the front of the room sharing a talk called, Why I am Catholic when I could be anything else? And then Father Peffley went to the front of the room, and he shared what became our talk called An Invitation to the Catholic Faith. And I looked at our president, Mark Middendorf, and I said, you did this on purpose, didn't you? <laughs> and he said, yes, I did. <laughs> so anyway, Pat Madrid shared something that day that just really challenged me to change my perspective. He said that the Catholic Church is like stained glass windows in that it's meant to be viewed from the inside out. See, there was never supposed to be a Christian view of the church. There was always meant to only be one view. And that, as a Protestant, of course, I was only looking at the church from the outside in. But that, like stained glass windows, when you look at a stained glass window from the outside, it's really dull and boring and uninteresting. It doesn't say a whole lot to you. But when you go inside the church and the light is streaming in, now it's vibrant and it's colorful and it's beautiful and it speaks a message and tells a story. And I realized that if I was really going to give the Catholic faith an honest look, that I was going to have to change my perspective. That if I didn't start looking at the church from the inside out, that I was going to miss the message that was being revealed in the light. And I wasn't willing to do that. 
So I began listening to everything I could get my hands on related to the Eucharist especially and also to anything to do with Catholic apologetics. At about the same time, we hired a graphic artist who was also an acolyte. And this meant that we were now able to expose the Blessed Sacrament. And for an hour a day at Lighthouse Catholic Media, from 2 to 3 every day, we, the, the Eucharist is exposed and we're able to go into adoration. Well, one day, um, our president said, I'm not able to go take my spot in adoration. Will you go in for me? And I was, so I went in. And for me, this began my Jacob experience because I was in for a wrestling match with God. <laughs> and I would go into the chapel every day and I would beg with God. I would beg him and I pleaded with him and I would cry and I would get angry with him. And I begged him to show me the truth. And I knew that when I came out of this that I was going to be different. Because, you know, when Jacob went into his wrestling match with God, when he came out, his hip was out of joint and God changed his name to Israel. And I knew when I came out of this, I was not going to be the same. On July 22, 2010, we had a Mass at Lighthouse. And this is the memorial of the Feast of St. Mary Magdalene. So the Gospel reading for that day was the resurrection story. And I'm going to read that to you as well. It's in John chapter 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped, she stooped to look inside the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the foot. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where to find him. Saying this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you? Who, whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you, you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and to your Father, to my God, and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and said to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all these things that he had said to her. When Father recounted Mary, Jesus saying, Mary, again my heart took a leap. Because I heard him in my ears say Mary, but in my heart I heard him say Stacy. And it was so real that I began to kind of sheepishly look around the room like to see if anybody else had heard it. <laughs> and then Father began his homily and he said, what word in today's gospel leaped out at you? And I knew he was speaking to me. I didn't say anything right away. And somebody finally guessed Rabbi. And he's like, no, no, that's not what I'm looking for. And I finally said, Mary. And he said, yes, Mary. And I knew I didn't hear anything else in his homily. I knew at that moment that he had called me by name, that he 
that in the same way that he had revealed himself to Mary at the tomb by speaking her name, he had revealed himself to me. And I had been sitting in that chapel month after month, day after day, begging for him to show himself to me. I would call him, Lord, Lord, show me, show me the truth. I knew here that it was true, but it had not gone from here to my heart yet. It was... I didn't tell anyone what had happened right away, but within a month, I had told Mark and our Vice President, Tim. They both had such a tremendous impact on, on my conversion. But I also enrolled in RCIA. I was still very skeptical about coming into the Catholic Church, however. And, uh, but as I began this journey in RCIA, I looked forward to the weekly meetings. And um, they were a wonderful opportunity for me, not only to understand where I might be going, but to understand where I had been. Because one night, for instance, one night, we were, somebody brought up the term denomination. As you know, in the Protestant world, there's many different denominations. And that night I was reflecting on that term because I realized, well, the denomination is something that's been broken down. And it was like, if I gave, if somebody gave you a check and you went to the bank and you gave it to the teller and you said, I want to cash this, and the teller says to you, how, um, what denominations would you like that in? How would you like me to break that down for you? Imagine even just a $100 bill broken down into pennies and all the pieces. And Protestants, they don't know what they don't know. They're a part of something that's so broken, it's been broken for so long now that they don't even know that it's broken. I still was not utterly convinced that I was going to be able to lead my Protestant life. In the meantime, I also became um, very aware of the fact that if I did come over, I was going to have to be able to tell all my Protestant friends, why did you do this? Because it would have been like insane to them. And um, I, I had taken in so much information over the last two and a half years that I didn't know where I would start or how I would tie it all up. And I had no idea what I would say. But my biggest and foremost concern, dilemma, about coming in was that I had raised eight Protestant children. And we were all very actively involved in ministry in our church. And all of our relationship flowed from our, our church community. I had two priests advise me to come in without them. And at first this was insane to me. I could not imagine doing something so significant in my life without my children. As Easter Vigil approached and we began to wind down in our RCAA class, um, I began to reason that, well, I could just do this in the future. I'd gone through the process now, and when I was ready, I could do this. But Mark and Tim both picked up on my hesitancy, and they both encouraged me to c complete the path that I had begun. And I remember Mark saying to me, how can you take your children to a place you've never been before? And that really, really struck me. And... At the end of the day, he commended me to my priest. He said, you know, it's a matter of obedience. Talk to your pastor. Do whatever he tells you to do. And this was all on the same day. We had our last class that night in RCIA, and I still had not made the decision that I was going to come in. So that night, I wrote this in my journal. Tonight, Celeste and I went together, and during class, we were examining the holiness of God's name. Father Gary highlighted a section of the catechism that talked about the importance and the intimacy conveyed when we call someone by name. He then asked this question, how did Christ reveal himself to Mary Magdalene when she was searching for him at the tomb? 
Of course, no one knew the answer, at least no one spoke up. And so, again, I said, he called her my name? <laughs> and when he spoke her name, she became fully aware that she was in his presence, which is exactly what happened to me. I know exactly what she experienced, the knowledge of the revelation of himself, Christ the risen Lord, the resurrection, and the life. So after class, I went to Father and I shared with him my turmoil in coming over without my kids. Father's reply was again from Scripture, but he was not merely speaking as Father Gary, but as my Heavenly Father speaking through him. He looked at me and he said, in speaking of the Blessed Mother, just do what Mary did, just say yes. Just a few simple words, and yet it had such a profound impact on my life. Because as I was journaling that, as I was journaling this that night, all of a sudden I remembered that my name, Stacy, means of the resurrection. And now in his grace, he had chosen to write my name into the resurrection story, the same way he had written Mary's name into it. And the same way that that story belongs to each and every one of you. You might guess I chose Mary Magdalene as my confirmation name. And I realized that most people would assume that that was because I was a great sinner who had been forgiven much. And that's absolutely true. But you know the rest of the story now. Um, what I thought was going to be this huge gulf to get to the other side and be home, it was just one more step. I had, it was a matter of just stepping out of the boat. I had crossed the Tiber. And by the grace of God and through the intercession of some really wonderful people, I had made it to the other side. There was nothing left to do but to get out of the boat. So after the Easter Vigil, three things happened in correspondence to my three hesitations. First of all, my fear of coming over without my children just, just dissipated. It, it, just, it was just gone. It just didn't matter anymore. And it was really only the enemy's ploy to keep me away from obtaining greater graces for them. In regards to my fear about leaving behind my Protestant life, well, it wasn't too long before I realized that the hardest part of becoming Catholic was that I realized that I was going to have to still participate in the Protestant life for the sake of my children. <laughs> and then, where I'd been so concerned about how I would answer my Protestant friends about why I had done this, I realized very simply that the reason that I had become Catholic was because I couldn't find any other reason not to anymore. The truth had destroyed every argument um, he, had, he had revealed himself to me. And at this point, for me to say no would have been like the rich young ruler who, because he wasn't willing to leave behind what he had to obtain eternal life, went away sad. I began the journey, I began this journey under the guise of chasing after God. But I learned that the reality was that God was chasing after me. <laughs> That's pretty obvious to me now. And that um, in reflecting back to that time, I recently wrote this. The God of heaven pursued me intently. Hadn't I known this Jesus for years? And yet my heart marveled, who is this God who wants to give me his flesh to eat? Even as I resisted his attempts, he wooed me. He patiently waited for me to come. He whispered me to me secrets of the faith that I knew not. As much as I wanted, as hungry as I was to find the presence of God, he was all the more desirous to fill me with his, with his presence, to feed me his flesh and his blood, 
the bread of his presence, the bread of eternal life. Jesus, the Lamb of God. All glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Amen.